Principal Matters Podcast, episode 185. Hi, friends. This is Will Parker, host of Principal Matters, the school leaders podcast, where each week I bring you inspiring, innovative, and imaginative ideas for your own school leadership. This week, I want to talk about the power of telling your own story. Before I jump into this episode, I want to give you a couple of quick shout outs. Number one, starting next week, Jen Schwanke, the author of You're the Principal, Now What? and the principal at Indian Run Elementary in Dublin, Ohio, is going to be rejoining us for a series of podcast episodes based on her newest book that she's launching this month. So I'm so excited and would just want to encourage you to be listening in the next several weeks as we share content together on ways that principals can be rebooting their leadership. Thing number two that I want to talk to you about is that as you are looking at your summer, I want you to keep in mind that if you are involved in a principal retreat principal leadership workshop, conferences where school leadership is the topic of choice, then I'm booking for events that are happening throughout the summer and the fall. And so if you are interested, I have limited days available to come and do some professional development with your teams. And you can check out all of that information at my website at williamdparker.com slash speaking, or you can reach out to me by email at will at williamdparker.com. I'd love to connect with you and find out what's going on with your leadership and be a part if available. Well, this week I want to talk about the power of your own story. Recently, I finished reading the book Educated, a memoir by Tara Westover. And if you're unfamiliar with the book, Tara Westover grew up in a rural Idaho countryside with parents who embraced radical ideologies, including things like not giving their daughter a birth certificate or vaccinating her, not providing her with any formalized education. And it wasn't until she decided she wanted to attend college in her late teens that she began to teach herself so that she could pass the ACT with high enough scores to qualify for entrance. And to her surprise, she made it into college. And her university experience revealed a world of new understandings, including, for the first time, hearing stories of the Holocaust, exposure to classic literature, and the opportunity to study abroad. Eventually, her studies led her to a PhD in history from Cambridge. It's an amazing book, and so I highly recommend Educated, a memoir by Tara Westover. But but her formal education also came with a personal cost. In this story, and spoiler alert, um, her relationship with her parents uh, could not survive the newfound freedoms, nor uh, would they acknowledge the neglect and trauma and abuse that she had experienced growing up. And even as her eyes were being opened to this world of knowledge through education, her ties with her parents in particular crumbled. And as I was finishing the story, I was struck first by Tara Westover's deep sacrifices. To gain an understanding of the world, she had to reconcile with the brutal realities of her past. And even though much of her childhood involved trauma, there were also some moments of beauty and poetry in the rugged landscapes that shaped her youth. And it was touching to experience those moments with her and even to watch her walk through the deep losses that she experienced. So this week, as I've thought about her story, I've been thinking about how your stories shape you. Do you ever wonder what others think 
of your story, if it were in ink the way that Tara Westover's is, what I've discovered about most school leaders is that their stories don't seem unique or novel to them. To them, their stories seem familiar or unimpressive. But when I take time to really bore down into someone's stories, I always find a new perspective that's not my own. And it's at that moment that I have the privilege to see the world through the set of someone else's eyes or experience, and it provides perspective. So here's the point I want to make at the beginning of today's podcast. Each story is a unique one, including yours. Your story may be familiar or uninteresting to you, but to others, it provides insights into life that help others see their own stories better. So this week, I've decided to tell some stories. It's been a while since I've told stories. And for those of you that have listened to my podcast or read my blog for a long time, I'm a storyteller. And I decided this week, I'm going to tell some stories from my own experiences that maybe will give you a glimpse of your own stories and provide some perspective in the work that you do that may influence the way that you work. I hope these stories help. Uh, But really, they're just stories of perspective. So story number one, I call this free and reduced lunch kid. I'm waiting for my bus at the end of the gravel driveway with my older brothers and little sister, and a storm has blown over trees by the road, and the twisted roots of a large tree ball has left a large mound of dirt. So we decide whoever stands on that mound is king of the hill. And I'm the youngest boy, so my attempts to be the king mean that I end up on my backside in the wet dirt and the grass. I remember this morning particularly because my mom has packed a lunch for me, including my favorite chocolate oatmeal cookie in a plastic baggie. And for some reason, I had taken the plastic bag out and I had stuck it in my back pocket. During this bus ride to school, I remember pulling out the baggie, looking at the flat, dark, mushy contents and thinking, you know, I bet it'll still taste good. The gravel road from my house to the next neighbor's kid was about two miles away. And as we might meander from house to house, past red barns and grazing cattle and soybean fields and long stretches of woods, we finally arrive at school 45 minutes later. This bus is full now of other kids from rambling back roads of West Tennessee farmland. Some of them live in brick farm homes, others in trailer houses. And I don't know it at the time, but most of the children in my school are like me. They qualify for free and reduced lunches, even though I bring a bagged lunch to school. Story number two, becoming a writer. I'm standing in my eighth grade language arts class. Miss Owens is a short woman who grew up in Germany And she's fluent in both English and German, and she's taught me grammar and literature since sixth grade. And this day, we're filling out our schedule requests that will be sent to the high school that I'll be attending the next year. And Miss Owen walks up to me as I'm ready to leave class. And she says, William, I think you should consider taking advanced English next year. You're a strong writer, and you enjoy reading. And I think the challenge would be a good one for you. No one had ever given me any indication that I might have the strengths to take an advanced class. And I remember at that moment, just kind of being struck. I I had always considered myself an average student at best. But on that day, a new thought entered my mind. Maybe I could be good at writing. It was a small conversation with big implications. Story number three, afraid to talk. 
I'm standing outside a grocery store in Brooklyn, New York. My older brother has gone into the store to pick up food for the apartment where we're staying with my parents. I'm 15, and this is my first time in a big city. My father had re-enlisted in the Navy that year, and his ship is stationed at the dry dock in Brooklyn. He's been living for the past year there, and now we've moved up to live with him. It feels like a foreign country. No forests, no fields, no rambling creeks, just concrete and bricks and buildings and people, so many people. And I'm standing outside of this grocery because I'm afraid to go in. Someone might see me or even say something to me, and I'm convinced that if I talk, I will be exposed. My Tennessee accent will betray me as an outsider. And suddenly a man just stops and looks at me. Hey, do you have the time, he asks. And I freeze. I realize that I'm, I'm wearing a wristwatch. So in an instant, I raise my arm so he can look at the watch face and read the time himself. Thanks, he says, and he walks in the store. I still haven't spoken yet. And when my brother finally comes out with a bag of groceries, I can't wait to get back to the apartment where I can talk again. This was the beginning of the loss of my Tennessee accent. Story number four. Where is Yale and Harvard? When I drive to Tulsa, I'm behind the wheel of a Toyota Corolla that I had bought in the summer of my junior year in high school. Because over the summers, I would go back to Tennessee and work by diving for shells in the Kentucky Lake area. And the summer of my junior high school year, I had saved enough money to buy my first car. When I graduated from high school, I loaded it up and I headed to Oklahoma. As I looked for the signs to Oral Roberts University where I was attending a Christian private school, I noticed exits for Yale Avenue and Harvard Avenue. Gee, I thought, Tulsa is way bigger than I thought. Harvard and Yale are here too? Because neither of my parents had gone to college, I wasn't even sure how long it took to complete a degree. I remembered hearing something about associates and bachelor's degrees, but I couldn't figure out if that meant I was committing to two years or four years. And when I was asked to declare a major, I remember the only subject in school where someone thought I was gifted. So I signed up for English education. I had no idea that I was stepping into the first day of my future career. Story number five. As I stand in front of my first class of students, I can't believe that they're actually in their seats and looking at me. Somehow, it seems amazing that a room full of teenagers will believe that I'm qualified to teach them. I don't feel like it, but I fake it anyway. In fact, I say what will become the greeting that I'll use for the next 11 years as a classroom teacher. Thanks for being here. I'm glad you decided to come to school today. One day, several weeks later, a student raised his hand. Mr. Parker, why do you say that every day? I think for a moment. And then I say, well, if you think about it, you actually have more power than I do. You could choose not to come to school. You could choose to walk out of my room. You could choose to not sit and learn, but you choose to come. So I'm thankful that you choose to learn, and I'm glad you're here. I can see the tilted heads and looks of curiosity as they try to figure out if I'm being real. Fast forward two years later, and I'm attending church when a young man makes his way over to where I'm sitting after the service, and he says, Mr. Parker, hi, my name is Anthony. I was in your freshman English class a few years ago. I stand up. Hi, Anthony, it's great to see you again, because like a good teacher, I always act like I remember every student, even though he looks so much older, it takes me a few seconds to connect the memory. 
I just wanted to tell you thanks, he said. You probably don't remember, but I had you first period. And each morning, you'd begin the day by saying, I'm glad you're here. What you didn't know was how messed up I was. My mom and dad were fighting a lot then, and one night I slept outside to get away from it. And when I came to school the next morning, I hadn't even changed my clothes. I didn't want to learn, but you looked at me and said, Good morning. I'm glad you're here. I just wanted you to know I've never forgotten that moment, and I wanted to tell you thanks. Story number six, kicking my butt. One day as an assistant principal, I have a student in my office. His name is Steve, and he lives with his uncle, and whenever he's in trouble, he normally loses his temper and makes threats and uses profanity. And on this afternoon, he has been sent down by a teacher after refusing to do his work. I've been an assistant principal for a few years now, and whenever I need to assign discipline, I always call a family member. And so I tell him, Steve, I'm going to need to call your uncle when I assign you this discipline. And Steve looks straight in my eye and says, if you call my uncle, I'll have to kick your ass. I stand up and close the door to my office. I normally leave it open so that my work will be in the earshot of my secretary. It's a delicate balance, as you know, between protecting student confidentiality and making sure you aren't falsely accused when questioning students. But I weigh the costs of letting his angry words be heard by others, and I shut the door and sit back down. Steve, I said, I really wish you hadn't said that. It makes me realize that there must be something going on deeper than just what's happening at school. You know I have a job to do and that I have to hold you accountable to our expectations, but I have to be honest with you that I'm more concerned about what's happening in your heart and your mind right now than I am about the rules of the school. So let's talk. I remember talking and talking and talking with him, and he was still angry with me. Story number seven, watching the prom. I'm standing at the back of the room watching our students dance. And having a daughter in my school who is now a senior at the time adds a new perspective to this experience. It's been one of those weeks, so stressful that I'm not even sure I want to go to the prom. And the evening is just like every other prom I've been to. Girls in beautiful gowns, boys in tuxes, lots of finger foods and soda and bottled water and loud music and lights. But there's something about this night that seems a little different. And part of it is an, a fantastic DJ who's picking great songs and showing kids how to dance. He's down on the floor in front of the stage, microphone in hand, teaching them line dancing and some new moves. And he's back on the stage, alternating genres and artists. And there's so much laughter and fun and singing and the atmosphere is becoming contagious. Even our teachers have joined in the fun and I've been walking around taking photos, but I finally just pull up a chair and I sit down and just take it all in. Here they are, room full of my students. Kids from different backgrounds, different income levels, different races, all of them mingling together in one big group, couples dancing, groups of girls holding hands, students circling around, a single dancer showing off his moves. And at one point, I see our senior class president make his way over to a girl who's one of our special needs kids who's been dancing alone. And I see him ask her to dance. And from my perspective, they look like they're beaming as they move beneath the cascading colors of purple and blue and gold showering the room from the spinning disco ball overhead. And as I take the scene in, I suddenly begin to have that feeling that I have when I'm watching my own kids play, that overwhelming sense of gratitude, and I smile. This is why I do it, I think. These amazing young people make the hard work of being a principal worth it. Story number eight, I resented you. It was an emotional day when I sent the email to my teachers 
that I was leaving the school. After 24 years as an educator, the opportunity had opened for me to support the work of school leaders full-time, and this moment was bittersweet. I love my school, but I'm also looking forward to new challenges. And that night, I'm checking messages when I receive a Facebook instant message from an old student. You probably won't remember me, he says, but my name is Steve, and I was in your school about 10 years ago. He tells me he's now the father of two small children. He explains how, as a student, he resented me. He tried as hard as he could to show me he didn't care. But the whole time, he said he was listening after all. He carried those lessons into his life now as a dad. And then he said, quote, just in case I never get the chance to tell you, your words made a difference. So let's wrap this up. When I read the book Educated, I was reminded that All stories, even ones with good endings, are tinged with pain, and they often come from places of suffering and struggle. And it made me think about the stories that you're experiencing every week, the stories that I experience as an educator, the stories that you experience. They are seldom neat or tidy, and they don't always end happily. I could have told you more stories of my own that don't wrap up with happy endings, because the life of an educator is filled with all kinds of stories. We see the moments of hope, the despair in a child's eyes, the brokenness that seems to be something beyond our help. We laugh and we cry. And at the same time, hearing another person's stories reminds us that we're not alone in our struggles and disappointments and joys. So as I've given you eight small snapshots from my past, you probably or thinking of some of your own stories. Maybe you can relate to the takeaways that I found in my stories. Maybe this week you're going to think about these eight things. That one, you show empathy for students from all backgrounds, especially those for whom their formal educations aren't necessarily a family tradition. Or two, you realize your words have power when you recognize a gift or potential in someone that they deserve to know it and you have no idea the small impact or the big impact a small word word will make. Three, you sympathize with other people's anxieties and remember when you were afraid to speak or take action. Number four, you try not to assume everyone has the same context or information when making their life's decisions, like how long it takes to finish college or where a famous school might be located. Number five, you remember the power of simple phrases like, I'm glad you're here. Number six, you anticipate that some people will disappoint you and may never give you any sign that your input makes a difference, but you help them anyway. Number seven, you take time to appreciate the moments that you're in and look for the beauty and the goodness in those you're serving. And number eight, you remind yourself that in the years that are to come, when you receive validation for helping others, it makes it worth it. But sometimes you never hear that validation. There are moments that are tough, and difficult to bear. Sometimes they have happy endings and sometimes they don't. So this week, will you take time to rethink your stories? What are your stories? The ones that are shaping the way that you see your roles and responsibilities? Because I think when we rehearse our stories, when we look for those moments of lessons, then we remember that what we do matters. And I also want to ask you to be bold. I would love to hear your story. And sometimes as I'm sharing podcasts, I get feedback from listeners. And sometimes I'm not getting 
the kind of feedback that I expect when I ask a question. So I just want to challenge you right now, if you're listening to this in your car, in your office, wherever it is, there's a story that you're thinking of right now of why you love to be a leader or maybe something difficult you've been through. Just what, a story that shaped your own experience as a leader. Will you share it with me? My email address is will at williamdparker.com and I would love to hear your story and maybe even at some point get permission to share it with others. I hope this week that you remember that your story is not just your own, that there are unique lessons and experiences that you're having that might help someone else realize that what they do matters too. Well, I hope that's helpful. I hope that you're having a fantastic week, and I can't wait to start the series with Jen Schwanke that we're going to be beginning next week. So thanks again for doing What Matters, and we'll talk to you soon. If you'd like other free resources like this one, you can check out all my posts at williamdparker.com.